This episode was recorded remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic, and thus there may be periodic sound quality issues. Thanks for your understanding. This is Wise Health for Women Warriors, the podcast that brings expert providers to anyone treating female military patients and families. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Aaron Kaiser, Program Director of the Sashek OB-GYN Residency, and today I'm speaking about postpartum depression with Captain Alyssa Fry. Captain Alyssa Fry is an active duty licensed clinical psychologist and currently serves as the group clinical psychologist for First Special Forces Group at Joint Base lewis mccord Captain Fry completed an internship and postdoctoral residency in clinical psychology at Madigan Army Medical Center and during her residency was embedded in the OBGYN clinic and focused her work on treating perinatal and postpartum patients, which culminated in implementation of perinatal treatment protocol for the prevention of postpartum depression. So thanks so much for being here, Captain Fry, and for your passion in treating this very vulnerable population. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I guess I want to start with just, can you talk to us about what is postpartum depression? And I guess, how do we distinguish it between just general depression and the normal kind of postpartum blues that a lot of moms experience postpartum? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely a great question to start with um, because depression looks different for everyone and anyone can experience depression at any one point in their life. So how do we kind of qualify what makes postpartum depression unique? Um, I would say the biggest thing that you're looking at is um, postpartum or, you know, that point of giving birth and what happens afterwards as kind of being the onset of the stressor for you. So it's depression that specifically relates to the post postpartum period and that postpartum period in and of itself being a stressor. Um, so you mentioned the baby blues. The baby blues is something that's um, pretty common across many women, uh, many families, uh, after they've had a child. It's, you know, those first few days to weeks where really you're just adjusting to being a new mom. You're adjusting to sleep deprivation. Your hormonal changes are still leveling out. Um, there's a lot of firsts, a lot of new things um, that people are adjusting to. So we expect there to be some mood and fluctuation um, in experience during those first few weeks. From a postpartum depression standpoint, what we really look at is anything that persists beyond that point. So a few beyond one month, uh, months on end, um, and then severity and intensity of symptoms. Sorry, can I clarify one thing real quick? So I know you mentioned that kind of the defining thing for postpartum depression is that the inciting event, I guess, was having the baby. But wouldn't you argue that a lot of women with a history of depression or anxiety are going to be more at risk of developing postpartum depression? So how do you kind of tease that out? Yeah, so um, I I think that some of it is you don't tease it out. So if somebody has a history of depression going into pregnancy, we know that they're more likely to experience postpartum depression. Um, when it comes to treating postpartum depression, they're going to be very interrelated. So you're going to see probably a lot of the same struggles that someone had before birth. But now you're adding on top of that the stressors and the emotional experiences that have been heightened by the birth experience. So kind of think of it as a layering process in terms of somebody who already has a low baseline or higher baseline in terms of depression And then we're adding another mental, emotional stressor on top of it that's kind of amping up the depressive symptoms related to a specific stressor. 
Okay. And so we talked about, we, we expect postpartum blues. I mean, I remember being postpartum and, you know, sleeping three hours straight was like a win. And so we expect some, I guess, sleep deprivation. So how do we tease out, or I guess, what are the red flags that alert you that this is maybe more than just the postpartum blues? So I think what you're looking at is somebody who is having maybe oversleeping. So you might look at excessive sleepiness, so they just don't want to get out of bed or um, they're not wanting to kind of engage in that care with their kid because they're kind of coping with what their own experience is like internally. So they may be oversleeping. They may not be sleeping at all despite their infant now sleeping and they're not able to maximize that sleep period intense sadness, crying, extremely low, depressed mood, low energy, loss of appetite, um, a lot of self-critical thinking and guilt. And if you think about all of these things as things that we all experience from time to time throughout life, male, female, pregnant, not pregnant, and then add all of them together and amplify it times 10, that's really what you're looking at in terms of postpartum depression. So we look at intensity, severity, and kind of culmination of all those things. And I know when when our patients come to a six-week postpartum visit, you know, we administer that EPDS or that Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Scale. Um, You know, I think outside of that six-week visit, though, I don't know that that's being administered at like routine if they, you know, when they come back three months postpartum and they see their PCM, I don't know that that's being addressed. Are there specific tools you recommend to screen for this? Yeah, I think that, that that's a good one that I think could be implemented across the board, um, that Edinburgh uh, Depression Scale, because that's kind of that's going to give you a good baseline of where the individual is at. So that six week mark is great to kind of capture if somebody's sort of progressed normally through that initial postpartum period and then to kind of see if they need any additional help from there. But because postpartum depression is so unique to the individual, we really should be look, be on the lookout for it, you know, months past that point. So when somebody comes back to see their PCM at that three-month mark, even at the six-month mark, um, postpartum depression can really hit at that point too. So doing a better job in terms of using those screeners as a lookout for depression, and then having that conversation of what has been going on in your life in the past three months, six months, to trace back maybe what the identifiable stressors are. And a lot of that just comes from having uh, more in-depth conversations about somebody's background and intake and gathering a good um, history from them. And you mentioned this could happen up to six months postpartum. Is there a period of time where now, I guess it would no longer be considered postpartum depression? Is there a time frame of, you know, window of time? Um, Honestly, not specifically. I, I think because we use, because postpartum depression is again linked to that identifiable stressor related to birth and that 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 bonding experience with the infant and having that be a point of of stressor it can still be related to postpartum depression but symptom wise if things are kind of globally spreading out in terms of depressive symptoms and they may be less related to the birth and postpartum period specifically we may kind of qualify it more as a major depressive episode at that point, but it doesn't mean that childbirth or uh, postpartum wasn't still a stressor as a part of that. But I do think that the further you get away from that 
birth experience from that initial onset of postpartum, the more you start to tail into more of a major depressive episode. And I don't, I wonder if you noticed this in your time, you know, working in that OBGYN clinic, you know, I do, I always wondered if we pushed that maternity leave from six weeks to 12 weeks, you know, I think returning to work can oftentimes be a stressor for new moms. So did you notice that perhaps there was a uptick of postpartum depression being diagnosed later now that moms are coming back to work later? Or you think maybe that's just protective that having more time at home with their babies maybe decreases that risk of postpartum depression overall? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think that it's really, it can be dependent on the individual. Um, I'm actually working with a patient right now who is active duty and we're looking at that bridge into back into work for her and work being a protective factor in the sense of now she's um, back to kind of having being a task oriented goal directedness. Um, her schedule will, will normalize out a little bit and being able to work out throughout the day. Um, and then that added stress of now balancing work mom life. Um, so I think the stressors shift to some extent. Um, you know, being at home for 12 weeks is great because you really can adjust to life with that infant and that bonding period. But at the same time, that time can also be very um, isolative and feel very alone. Like it's just you and the baby and not having a lot of supports around you, especially in the times that we're in now where it's a lot harder to have external supports come in and, and help out in that time period. Yeah. And I totally remember when I had babies, I, I had to go back to work at six weeks, but I remember thinking, I really want to go back to work and, you know, practice my skill and interact with people. I just wish I could do like half days so I could still come home and take a nap because obviously I wasn't sleeping through the night, Right. but obviously that wasn't an option, but I, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of us, you know, type A individuals who are, you know, high speed at work, you know, may probably want to go back and get to what we're really good at. And then I, the other thing why I think this was so important and we wanted to discuss with um, our military healthcare professionals is I feel like our military population I wouldn't be surprised if they had higher rates of postpartum depression because we have some extra stressors, right? Not only are you a new mom and you have a job, but then your spouse may be deployed. And so have you seen that we have higher rates of postpartum depression in the military? So not specifically in the military. Um, I think it does vary. You know, studies range anywhere from 5 to 16% of uh, postpartum depression uh, being present. I think that postpartum does look more unique from a military perspective um, because there are more demands on the individual. Um, You know, you think of active duty females, there's a lot of stressors even going into pregnancy and admitting to commands that you're pregnant. And what does that mean? How does that shape your nine months of pregnancy? Because now you're not just a female soldier, you're a pregnant female soldier. And maybe you can't do the same the same things that you did, and how does that affect your mentality then going into pregnancy and delivering? And then you go into the I'm not a I'm you know I'm not a childless uh, soldier anymore. I now have kids and responsibilities that I'm the you know the lead caregiver caregiver for, and how do I balance everybody's needs on top of that? So I think that there's definitely a push and a pull that uh, female active duty soldiers experience. Um, that 
other people do not experience. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was at this military female leadership conference and some of the women there were expressing that they had concerns about this 12-week maternity leave because they were being passed over for jobs because, you know, three months is a long time to be out of a job. And if they knew that you were going to be out for three months, it's like, well, we'll give it to somebody who won't be leaving for three months. Um, so yeah, you do raise an interesting concern, not just for the spouse maybe whose um, husband is deployed, but then the active duty service member themselves and their concerns with their job. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that um, females go through. Um, and I, I think a lot of command teams are are really, you know, opening up to this kind of work-life balance and are actually very supportive of their um, female soldiers and balancing families and having families. But there, there's also that question on the back end of, that's great. We love that you're taking care of your family. Um, you know, we love that your family is growing. Uh, who's going to cover down on your section for 12 weeks? So you get both of those questions, um, which um, sometimes can be uh, challenging to navigate because you want to do well in both settings. Um, and you also have to be okay with that push and pull of you're not never going to be 100% to each of those categories 100% of the time. So I know you talked about some signs we need to look for as providers, um, but I guess once we identify these concerns for post-permanent depression, I guess what is the next step that we want to do as providers? Is it prescribing medications, putting in that consult for behavioral health? I guess what are our responsibilities as a provider for kind of first-line treatments? Yeah, I think the great thing about this stuff is that primary care providers uh, and general medical officers can really be that first line treatment for this type of stuff uh, because a lot of it is super basic in terms of just honing in on different aspects of that postpartum period. So is somebody engaging in, you know, good nutrition, healthy sleep? Um, and those are a lot of basic prevention uh, psychoeducation that providers can give to their patients right up front, you know, talking through basic coping strategies. So what sort of things do you do or do you enjoy doing to cope and to, you know, take care of yourself? Uh, do you have supports at home? Who are the supports that are helping you out with baby? Um, these are all kind of basic conversations that we can have with patients that helps alleviate some of those, those symptoms of postpartum depression that we've talked about. So I know we mentioned that SSRIs are usually your first line medication for postpartum depression if we're going to start it and they're pretty much safe with breastfeeding. Is there any one you like, you don't like, you know, if they have a little bit more anxiety, do you use one over the other or are they all pretty much equal? Um, well, I'll be honest, I'm not a prescriber by trade, so I don't necessarily um, have a preference in terms of, um, of medication, uh, but I think that I've seen most primary care providers lean towards uh, Zoloft as the um, you know, primary starter. And I've also um, worked with a lot of patients who've really benefited from that. So I think from a purely experiential standpoint, I've seen that one most utilized uh, and with some pretty good success. Um, I would say biggest thing to look out for, um, whether you're just seeing someone postpartum or you've seen them throughout pregnancy is getting that detailed history on if they've ever been on an antidepressant medication that's been helpful in the past um, because you may be able to just kind of tap, tap into something that's already been successful for the individual. 
or know that something has not been successful for them in the past and kind of go from there. Yeah, no, that's great. And I feel like I, I also usually start with Zoloft as like my first line for an SSRI. Um, and again, I think that's great. I usually ask if they've ever taken an SSRI or an antidepressant, what worked, what didn't work, and kind of use that as a guide as well. And I'll, I'll sometimes talk to moms about, you know, find a time when your spouse or your support system or someone is home that can give you, you know, a three-hour break to sleep if they're really struggling with sleep deprivation and that you can nurse, hand the baby off, and then go, you know, put a sound machine on and sleep for like three hours. Because sometimes, like you said, just that sleep deprivation itself can make you, you know, feel depressed or feel like a zombie. Yeah, sleep is huge. I mean, I think that that's kind of the first line treatment for anything is if I can get you even a couple more hours of sleep or figure out within your schedule where you're going to get just a little bit more sleep, people are much better off for it. And so to go from there, I think what we look at is, again, if that Edinburgh depression scale or in your conversations, that scale of uh, postpartum depression is starting to get severe and intense beyond um, just that basic psychoeducation that we can provide to patients, um, that's when you really want to look at a uh, referral to behavioral health or looking at some um, added medication management, whether it be an SSRI um, to kind of start on that that path, um, which can really help with those postpartum symptoms. And a question, from behavioral health standpoint, do you have a preference if I start a medication or just send them to you? I mean, do you appreciate having them already started on a medication when we put that referral in? Or do you like to see them first and then if that doesn't improve things, then start a medication? Um, I think from a, a postpartum perspective, I'm it it really doesn't matter either way. I think because we know that a low-dose SSRI um, can be really helpful in conjunction with behavioral health treatment and medication plus therapy is kind of our best uh, combination compared to medication alone and about equitable with, with behavioral health therapy alone. So either way, I think it's setting the patient up for success. And I will say, you know, SSRIs, I feel comfortable prescribing them. It's They're very safe in breastfeeding. Ultimately, I noticed some patients are like, yeah, open to taking an antidepressant and starting it, and other patients are very resistant and prefer going down that, you know, behavioral health route. So I usually kind of offer it, and it, I leave it up to the patient to determine if they want the medication or not. Yeah, and, and that's where I think behavioral health can do a really good job in assisting uh, the primary care provider is having those discussions um, about what the benefits of medication can be. And a lot of times patients don't even know what they're getting into when it comes to behavioral health therapy in general. So the more comfortable they become in that process, the more open they become to other methods of treatment as well. And then I've I've had a brief in-service on that new, there's that new medication. It's an IV medication inpatient. It's for FDA approved for the treatment of postpartum depression. Have you seen that utilized or are you familiar with that medication? So I'm familiar with it uh, just in terms of the uh, few articles that I've read about it, uh, but I haven't actually seen it uh, used in practice yet. But I do think it's really interesting, and it'll be very cool to see how that hopefully evolves as a treatment option for postpartum depression. Um, based off of the few articles I've read, those who have been able to go through it, um, you know, really shout its praise and 
So we've seen some pretty immediate results and then also some lasting results past that 30-day mark, which is really cool. I think it'll just be a matter of how do we get this type of treatment available to the masses and making it make it more widespread for people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a small percentage of patients who probably need that or would benefit from that, but I do think it's a cool idea. You do 48 hours of an IV inpatient medication and then it's supposed to have effects for 30 days. So it's something to look for in the future, I guess. Yeah, we'll see we'll see where that goes. Yeah, really cool treatment though. We'll see. And then I saw that you got your postdoc looking at preventative approaches, right, to postpartum depression. And I'm really fascinated to hear, I guess, what are the tips we can be talking to our both service women and the dependents about how to actually prevent postpartum depression, which is always better to prevent than to treat. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, so what I did uh, during my postdoc is I actually helped develop a, a treatment manual and I was actually able to implement it with a, with a few of the patients I saw through the OBGYN clinic. And, you know, it really speaks to what you were saying about a, a lot of times we can identify people who are probably most at risk for experiencing postpartum depression based off of, you know, certain risk factors, like did they have depression coming into it, low support system, low socioeconomic status. Um, so we can really identify who might really be at risk kind of going into it and using that perinatal period as a way to decrease the impact postpartum. And one of the interesting things I found too, or, you know, that we think about is when somebody is going through nine months of pregnancy, it's actually the most contact they probably have with a primary care provider. And most females are really honing in on wanting to live a healthful life and be the best they can be for the child that they're having at the end of it. So a lot of women have a lot more motivation to to do more and to kind of make certain changes in their life. So it's actually really a great period in a woman's life for them to start to dive into some of this stuff. Well, that's interesting because, you know, they do say, you know, so many women, you know, stop smoking when they're pregnant or if they're diagnosed with gestational diabetes and they switch to a diabetic diet, you know, they follow it to a T and they end up losing weight. And it's just interesting that you're right. It's like there's, you know, there's a whole new set of motivation when you're doing it for your child that you're carrying. Yeah. So hopefully we can kind of maximize those changes long-term. Um, but what I did is I basically designed a six-session protocol that's specifically meant to be implemented in that primary care setting. So I did it within an OBGYN clinic, but it could be implemented in any primary care setting. Um, and it really goes through, you know, first just building up those positive health behaviors. So good nutri nutrition, good water intake, healthy sleep, um, kind of working on whatever's lacking um, in the individual, talking about role definition. So as somebody first finds out they're pregnant is moving from that, you know, I wasn't pregnant identity and I wasn't thinking about having a kid identity to now I'm going to be a mom. I have that pregnant identity. What does that mean for me? How do I, how do I handle that? How do we help them build up support systems? So who are they going to lean on when the baby's born? And what are the boundaries they're going to set for accepting that help? So we know that it's very hard to accept help because we want to think we can do it all. But we also know how important it is for 
moms to accept help from other people in order for them to be better functioning and to feel healthy. Um, and so it's kind of helping them flesh out the boundaries of where are they going to accept help? And then where's their boundary in terms of this is where I need my alone time. This is what I'm going to do on my own. I know that, you know, I can speak for the army, but even at Joint Base San Antonio, I know there's a ton of resources out there for new parents, for new moms. Do you bring in the resources the military has for these patients? Yeah. So we always talk about them as resources. I think the hard part is you talk about them up front and then getting them to bite on the back end once they're kind of in the thick of it. Um, so if I can at least provide the resources up front in terms of these are some really good things to get engaged in. Uh, the hard part is, is once somebody gets into that, to that initial postpartum period and they're just trying to get sleep and survive, it's hard to get them to engage into those uh, supportive programs, if that makes sense. You're saying that they're familiar with where it is and how to find it and how to access it before they need it, they'll be more likely to utilize it? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So back to your manual of healthy tools and preventing postpartum depression. So you talked about making sure they have good nutrition and good habits going in, aware of all the resources available to them and where they're going to get help and I guess what their boundaries are. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we'd spend at least one session looking at specific coping strategies. How do you manage stress? Um, you know, working on mindfulness techniques, some, you know, cognitive behavioral, um, how to be aware of how you're thinking and how to alter your thoughts to have it be more adaptive. Um, and then talking about what, what do you want your identity to be as a mom and getting them to flesh that out ahead of being a mom so that, that they know the person they want to be after they give birth, and then also getting them involved. Um, so finding a mother mentor, as I like to call. So somebody who's been there, done that, who's walked the path, who, who you kind of want to emulate as a mom, and reaching out to that person to talk, talk to them about their experience and lean on them as a resource um, and then the foundation of that parent-parent relationship. So um, if, if you're in a parent dyad, uh, male, female, um, you know, whatever that looks like for you is setting that foundation up front in terms of being on the same page for what you want to be as parents, how you want to see your child grow, uh, what foundation you want to set as a family. And then the final session is really, you know, as you get close to that labor and delivery uh, and that initial postpartum period is just a recap in setting that person up for success for this is what you're going to see in the next few weeks, you know, be prepared for it. And then also know that you have these resources available to you if you need them at any point. Yeah. You know, I really like that idea of like another mother mentor. Cause you're right. Like in so many of our, of our jobs and our, in our profession, we look at mentors of how we want to be. So, of course, that totally makes sense. You know, look at other moms who you emulate or have styles that you would like to have as a mother and use them as a resource. I feel like I was I was fortunate to have a sister-in-law and a sister that were already moms, and I kind of utilized them in that fashion, you know, getting advice about when to start pumping and, you know, how to do this. And so, yeah, that's a great suggestion to have them start thinking about that before they deliver. Yeah, and there's a lot of those those nitty-gritty stuff you talked about, like pumping weird questions that we don't necessarily know to ask or feel comfortable asking. But if you build that relationship before birth, you know, if it comes up while you're going through it, 
it makes it a lot easier to just shoot a text out to that person to say, hey, did you experience this or any tips for that? Um, and so then you're that person's more likely to engage in that support or at least reach out and not just try to figure things out on their own. And so this manual you created, is this available to, I guess, the masses in the DOD? Um, can we link this in the show notes for, um, for those that want to see it? Yeah, you're more than welcome. I'll make sure that you guys have a copy of it. Um, I would love for it to be utilized more throughout the, the DOD and, and kind of get it out there, especially in our primary care clinics that see uh, the majority of our uh, perinatal uh, folks, um, active duty or civilian, you know, it works for everyone. So yeah, whatever we got to do to make it available, we can do it. And then we'll also put in the show notes some links to um, some resources that are available at our military bases um, for new parent support programs, because there's a lot of resources. And I feel like with so much of the military, sometimes we're not even aware of the resources that are there. So we'll make sure to put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. specifically, um, like you mentioned, the new parent support program, um, they do a lot of embedded work within the home um, within those first few weeks. So, you know, even if you don't have supports near you, the military can kind of provide that support and walking you through the process. So they're a great program to have on installation. Well, thanks so much for all these tips. Any other tips you want to share with providers that they can do when they um, either in recognizing postpartum depression or in first line management of postpartum depression? I think my biggest tip would be just to not be afraid to treat someone for lack of a better phrase. Um, I think that there's a lot, no matter what your specialty is, from a you know basic self-care, good, healthy practice management that hits at a lot of these postpartum symptoms um, that anybody can have a conversation about and just be willing to have the conversation and go there with the individual. Um, have your handouts on hand, whether it's on sleep hygiene, whether it's on basic nutrition. Um, you know, in my manual, I have a couple ones on how to build supportive care networks, and just be willing to um, to give that to the patient as the you know starting foundation from it. Because I think the great thing is, is primary care for providers are that first line defense and identifying who might need more support and who they could manage themselves, um, and then tapping into those resources as they need more assistance in that. Yeah, I think it's really important that at every visit, you know, we're asking these questions to try and screen for depression just so we can recognize it. And I'll be the first to say, you know, you're like, I give it to them and you're like, please don't be positive because now it's going to take a lot longer for this appointment (laughs) to finish up. Um, But it's so important that we screen for it and we address it, you know, as you mentioned. And the military, I feel like, has so many great resources um, that we just need to make sure, like you said, that the patients are aware of and that can tap into. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and just making sure the more that we're talking cross-specialty, as you know, I think the more comprehensive holistic care an individual gets um, and the best we can provide them. Well, thank you so much for bringing this um, to our attention. Your manual with your recommendations will be in the show notes for everyone to reference. And you heard it from the expert. Make sure we're screening all of our patients for postpartum depression 
we're addressing these issues prior to delivery and getting them the resources and support they need if you do feel like they're showing symptoms of postpartum depression. So thanks for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us and the great work WIC is doing, go to the WIC SharePoint. The link and email address will be in the show notes.